the Bam Electric Ghost, and we this podcast interviews uh, artists from around the world. We've been doing it since 2018, and uh, you, we are recording, and so it lets you know. So we're going to get right into the interview. Um, but we um, we love to talk to all types of artists, you know, star artists that are just starting in their career, or artists that are established. And um, you are a Bosnian um, music producer, and you're in Austria right now, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you've, you're into multiple types of genres, trance, techno, ambient, experimental. Yes. And I'm a musician myself, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm a keyboardist. I'm a synthesis, so I, I understand what you're doing. So let's <laughs> get into the questions. And we'll talk about the two singles I see on um, Spotify as well. You have uh, Wonder and Do the Dishes. That's correct. Yeah, so... So the first question I always ask musicians and producers and artists are, you know, when did you first get into music? Like what age were you interested in music? Well, I actually started piano lessons since I was four years old and I wasn't loving it at first because classical music and electronic music are very different in the experience you get. So Mm -hmm. I thought if this is music, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Um, but then later on, in second year of high school, I decided to take a personal project for school that involved me making a song. And that's, I think, the first real song that I made. But that one is, you know, when you're a young kid and you try and make something, you're at the age of 14, 15, it's not going to sound the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I remember I had basement bands, you know, I was trying to, I, I grew up in the 70s so um i was you know, like i was the first generation to see like mtv oh yeah and as soon as mtv showed up we're like wow <laughs> everybody started trying to make a band right <laughs> everybody went ran go get a casio go get a drum set go get a guitar get a bass and try <laughs> to be duran duran you know or or try to be new order or joy division and i, I got right into that because that the, the electronic music at that time was like bands like the cure and Joy yeah. Division, New Order, and it was the synth pop bands, you know, new wave bands, mm-hmm. and we're like, that—that that was like a big inspiration. They're kind of post-punk, and you're like, wow, you know, maybe that's possible. Maybe I can do that. You know, it wasn't like Led Zeppelin or Jimi Hendrix or like the Doors, like the guys who were like so, so, you know, they're like classical musicians. I mean, they were just really professional, and you're like, the whole new wave post-punk era was like. Oh, we anybody can try to do that if they have like honesty or feeling, you know, and get into it. So I agree. Yeah, how I, I got kind of inspired to do it. But so, so you discovered that you wanted to write songs. Did you continue to like craft your songs after that first like experiment? Um, I don't really make many songs per se. I make tracks, which means basically uh, instrumental productions. But mm. I am planning on having a lot of what more vocal productions in 2021 because it's it's been part of my music. I've I've written a lot of poetry when I was a kid and the type of poetry that you could use for songs basically because it had certain schemes, writing schemes that you found in music more, most often, right? But uh, after that, I think I stopped with making music until I actually came into the first year, until the end of the first year of my university studies as a bachelor. And then slowly my interests re-emerged. Mm-hmm. I saw an electronic musician music contest from an artist I really admire who I've been listening to from 2012, which is that mouse. And oh, since yeah. then, I just kind of decided, like, let's let's do this. I downloaded Ableton Trial, and I was like, okay, let's see, let's see, like, what I can learn in this month that I have for free, basically. So when you're in, like, I kind of jumped to a couple couple questions ahead. Uh, you, you mentioned Ableton; it's a DAW, digital audio workstation. So, do you just primarily work on the laptop on the grid, or do you connect a MIDI? keyboard because you were a piano player do you actually use a midi keyboard to kind of work on it or do you just do it all on the grid when i just started uh i did not have any equipment except my laptop so i was bashing everything out on my keyboard which is really really hard and it takes more time obviously Uh, but then you know with time actually i got some cool equipment so now i play with a keyboard 
that's that's all the MIDI that I have, but like everything else that I've invested in is like the audio equipment for recording and headphones, really good headphones as well as speakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what's interesting is like electronic music in 2020, 2021 is, is, is really different than when I started. Like when I started, you actually, like I'm a, I'm a, I play Moogs. I have Rollins. I, I had that. Cause oh, yeah. you, you couldn't, you, they didn't have DAWs. So you had, you use like a Tascam yeah. Fostex for four tracker. And then you would, you track your DX7 mm -hmm. or you track your Moog. And, and it's, I've kind of been like, I still like to do it that way. Just cause I have like a relationship with my instrument. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and, and but electronic music has kind of opened up where people that can't that you know are not musicians never played an instrument aren't piano players can become producers yeah and so i'm wondering how much of your piano playing do you really use as a producer or do you like opened up to new ideas um personally um well, i wasn't the best with music theory when i just started because i've I've, I've been out of music school for a long, long time. And in this time, you forget everything, basically. So what I did is I actually, I do use, like, I bang out my ideas for melodies on the keyboard. But it's not like I'm Mozart or something, you know. It's not extremely yeah, elaborate. Yeah. I just record and then I fix in the DAW if necessary. Well, I think it's interesting because there are, there are people that use, like, alternative input. Like got people who never learn keyboard, they'll use like a grid, like yeah. you know, like a Ableton push, or they'll use a Novation, or they use an MPC, and so it opens up to people who weren't trained as musicians. When you have those like alternative input mechanisms, there are grids, there are like a bunch of just pads, then people are able to come up with patterns in, in a way like a drummer, like you know, drumming on yeah. pads or playing chord arrangements on pads, and it's different than if you do it on a keyboard or even a guitar. Because you you can do things that you're not technically capable of doing on a piano, when you have that kind of grid, <laughs> and so you find that you can actually create music forms that are a little bit more complicated or different than what you can initially physically do on a keyboard. Um, I agree that you can do that, but in my honest opinion, uh, I try and not do something that is not possible to just play out with your hands, because I think it feels more authentic, more natural. If I play chords that make sense and and progressions with with as many keys as it, as it makes sense to play with with one set of hands and sometimes maybe like two because even in in concerts in classical concerts you will have sometimes people who play two people on the same piano right yeah 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 I mean it's kind of like when you you look at a guy like Keith Emerson and he had a big stack of keyboard yeah you have multiple keyboards as a synth player you're able to do things because you've got multiple boards so yeah. you could be in different positions that you physically couldn't be on the same board but um yeah i agree as a as a keyboard player i like to write songs that i can actually play yeah. like you said if I, if I produce a song i don't want to make it so that if i go play live in new york i can't actually reproduce it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know because you want to be able to reproduce what you write i mean in some cases you have backing tracks and you can't reproduce you've got to run yeah. them on your sequencer but but for the for the stuff I play live, I try to do something that's actually going to be fun for me as a musician, and you know something I think the crowd's going to like, because it's like the performance is a large part of music to me, um, and being able to replicate what you write is is kind of interesting. I think it just makes it easier to get back into your song if you don't make it overly complex. But um, yeah. So when you understood you had a talent for music, you kind of went away from it. You came back to it. Um, what made you go into electronic music versus other types of forms? I started seeing so many festivals appear around the time of, um, I think I was 18, 17 or 18. And at that time, I have never traveled anywhere without my parents. Uh, and then uh, maybe because I'm a girl, you know, and parents tend to protect girls more because, you know, the world is yeah. a dangerous place, <laughs> how they say it. Well, I have uh, so, a daughter. I have a yeah. 21 year old daughter, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So the thing is, yeah, then I saw these festivals and I was like, okay, I see mostly electronic music being played here. And I've always actually listened to electronic music, among other things, but I didn't know 
like what genres are. I was just listening to what came up on the on the radio or what I saw on on the internet on the top charts. And you have a top dance chart as well. You know, you have people like Armin van Buren in this chart, and that's like I discovered him during the time of Mirage. Mm -hmm. Basically, I was like just a little like kid, I guess. And I, I didn't really yeah. understand what I was listening to, but I really liked it. And whenever I listen to any of the stuff from that period now, I get really, really like nostalgic. That's interesting. Cause like, I, like, I, like people have different periods that they live in and you know, the, the music at the time, like I'm, I'm kind of a child of the seventies, yeah. you know, I, I grew up with the carpenters and Led Zeppelin, you know, Funkadelic stuff like that. Disco punk you know, like this there was like a golden age for multiple genres right like in in the 70s you had so many different yes. genres that were happening you still had the 60s stuff you, you had the soft pop you have disco you have funk and so it, it kind of gave you a really good foundation as a musician because so many things of high quality were around and if you were coming up as a musician during that time you like heard these really awesome artists um and today it's different. There's different types of music, and some people argue one way or the other. But I think in electronic music, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. In hip hop, there's a lot of really interesting things happening. And so, like, I always try to keep my ear to the ground because I mean, I come from a time of certain types of music I might prefer more than others. But I always talk to you know anybody from any genre um, because I think it's important to to as a musician to, to be explore yeah, other, I agree. other I agree. genres that maybe are your your key, your key one. So it's interesting that you kind of like electronic music is a big part of what I do because I'm into like the original hardware uh, and I'm getting into sampling, granular synthesis and other types of stuff that are happening today. But but it's interesting as you progress with your music, are you getting interested in like modular synthesis or, you know, all the different like a subtractive synthesis? added? There's all these different types of electronic music sound design and creation how how deep are you getting into that well actually i built my first um eurorack module i would say two years ago but it hasn't progressed since then mostly because i i was kind of on the time constraint and i always kind of went with this mentality let's work with what i know for now until until i can mm -hmm. get more stuff released but definitely definitely I do want to I do want to have a modular setup. I've prepped myself for that by buying a DC coupled audio interface. Um everything that I have is kind of like already prepped for something modular to just come in. Sure. But right now I'm playing with the mm -hmm. VC rack which is um you know software modular synth basically. And as well as pure data which again you can program modular just like with yeah. with the modular it's it's much more complicated but you can get a similar result. And that's one of the things we're actually studying in university right now in my master's degree. That's interesting. I kind of grew up with like, you know, subtractive synthesis. I have like mini modes. Mm. I have like Rollins. And so the whole idea on some of these old analog synths, they don't have patch yeah. memory. So you had to build the waveform, build we'll go through the envelopes, use the filters do the ADSR, you know, do that, use the LFOs to trigger things. And it just kind of growing up doing mm -hmm. that and being involved in that. It just, it seems interesting. People kind of come back to it. There's a lot of people I've seen that are like DAW, totally mm -hmm. in the DAW, you know, logic. And then suddenly they get a Euro rack and they get the CV converters to MIDI and they're actually pulling analog yeah. signals and they're doing analog waveforms and they're learning about subtractive and additive synthesis you know granular synthesis and all this stuff and it's really kind of if you look at a guy like dead mouse he's like a lot of what he does in all the yes. rack analog stuff yes. it gets converted into his dog but he does the sound design on the old type of um and, and a lot of people might not realize that but if they actually look at what he does it's like well he's yeah like a keith emerson you know or stevie wonder he's getting that sound design like you know genesis or yes you know that's those are the bands i can yeah from. yeah um and all that was like all sound designed exactly but, um, yeah yeah it's interesting they, they're very deep because i think what's cool about sound design as part of music writing is you build your own pad or patch yeah. then it's like unique to what you did right and nobody else has it and it gives you like a, a type of sound whether you do that you know in a DAW to do that or but but if you don't just use presets i think it gives you a lot of a lot of more makes your sound your your own 
It does. It does. You know, that's a lot. Of, yeah. So do you feel that you, do you spend a lot of time on sound design or do you like to just pull clips and pull things that like that already are there and maybe tweak it? It's different people have different strategies. What, what's your kind of overall? Well, the biggest reason why I haven't released so much music is actually because of sound design, because I try to do like 80-90% of the stuff that I do from sound design from the ground up by uh, for a long time recording by, with what? my phone and stuff that needs to that can be mono with my microphone and then playing around with it and making synths in in my DAW due to like you know if 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 I have these financial constraints where I'm not able to buy an actual Eurorack yeah, um, yeah. However, yeah. if I had more knowledge, uh, te technical knowledge, I could actually replicate for much cheaper prices. I could replicate some famous Eurorack modules for the fraction of the price. And that's the goal, basically. But yeah, I do spend a lot of time on sound design because I have specific, specific sounds in my head and I just want them to be heard. That's interesting because I've seen that like in like your song, Do the Dishes, that you're using samples, like a sampled voice. Yeah, that is my Pink voice. Boy yeah. was like really, that's your voice. And so you sampled yourself and then put <laughs> it into the track, or did you just do a track like as a layer? Everything is sampled, and that one was done on my phone, basically. Mm -hmm. And then you just applied it. Did you actually use like a sampler? To yeah, to pitch it down. Flip it and alter it, pitch it down. Yeah, because I mean, that's, I love samplers. I mean, I've been using samplers since the like early Casio <laughs> samplers from the 80s, the 80s. And then now I have like Eurorack, I make noise, mm -hmm. uh, a thing called a morphogene. And, and what's cool about the morphogene, it's a Eurorack sampler, but it, it doesn't have a digital output. It's all visual. It just uses oh, wow. to tell you what, what's what. And it's all physical, like a Moog. It's just got dials on it. And it is, it's all the LEDs are just color. And the colors mean different things. And kind of what you hear is what you get. So you kind of play with the clip you morph it with the with the dials and you can't physically see it on a grid you have to kind of feel it and i'm kind of a kind of guy that i like to use sense that have that kind of feel like what you turn the knob and then you hear it and then that's it i don't visually get a screen i do it based on what it sounds like um and it's a different it's harder to do but i find it's actually very satisfying when you do that because you're kind of going for the sound you're not you, you're actually really listening and not looking at as many visual cues. You're kind of just trying to find that sound, um, which is a different way of doing it. And it maybe a lot of people today would find it harder than visually trying to see it on the grid. But um, yeah, I just find it satisfying. <laughs> but it's interesting what you can do today. Yeah, that's a different, very different and interesting approach. However, I'm primarily a visual type, so I get lost if my EQ doesn't have visual outputs, for example. Yeah, it's just the kind of coming from the old synthesizers didn't yeah. have it. And so okay, if, you, if you kind of come up on a mini mode, there's no readout. You know, you have to kind mm -hmm. of feel it. Um, and, and so growing up with that, even like a Hammond organ, it's all based on the draw bars, where the positions are. Um, so I'm kind of a musician from that point of view. And I do understand I me. Mean, I have Ableton. I have those things. It's just my preference is I kind of always been a field-based mm -hmm. artist. Um, and it comes from a different tradition, like jazz musicians. And, you know, blues guys kind of go by, they don't even sight read, you know, they, <laughs> they kind of just go by what they kind of feel. Yeah. Um, but um, in terms of like how you integrate your music, are you working with other musicians or producers? Or are you just totally self-produced or you, you don't work with any other? Is you're just a solo artist or do you have a collective or anybody you work with? Um, I'm mainly a solo artist. I've always liked doing things on my own just because... It, I found it pretty hard from experience to rely on other people because I would always have problems from the other side. However, I am obviously doing a couple of collabs, I think two at this point. And I'm not sure if anything is going, going to um, come out of them. We have some, we have drafts, obviously. But the thing is, uh, there's no pressure for anything to be released. It's just if it happens, it happens. So you you're not like at least one. If some artists like just are solo artists, but when they go to perform, they have like uh you know like other people on stage with them. But as an electronic musician, 
we can kind of just go yeah. out there with a CDJ and just do it alone with a grid base, do it alone. So if you perform live, I don't know if you perform live, what, what's your like plan? Are you going to be just like a DJ or, and have your equipment and just kind of run as a solo um, producer, or would you actually integrate other live performance for like, you know, other you know, vocalists or DJ, DJs or rappers or like what's your kind of plan for that so my plan is uh, most of the time to perform alone and i would prefer being a live act over a dj because i do have a little setup that i can just use for everything that i need so i would kind of combine mostly like playing the keyboard and sometimes mixing since uh because of my technical limitations uh, technology limitations but uh i would like to have some special types of shows where I bring an orchestra with me. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that, that, I think it's really interesting when you get electronic musicians that'll bring like, you know, like like people with horn sections or bring in like a guitar player or a real live I drummer. I mean, the peak of, yeah, and, the peak of then, this experience is like Dead Mouse with Hans Zimmer, basically. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's like, that's like the best of all worlds. And he's got his all, all his gear. And then you got like a producer like that is like, you know, bringing that kind of, it's like working with yeah. Brian Eno. Like Brian Eno, for me, it's like, you know, with Belt Bowie, when he worked with Bowie, the, the way he approached the studio, you know, is just is like going on the chalkboard and saying, hey, why don't you take this chord? He's telling Robert Fripp, he goes on a chalkboard and said, well, take this chord and mix this chord. And he mm -hmm. just went on a chalkboard <laughs> and said, do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like looking at it and said, well, that doesn't really work. He said, well, I think you could. And then it's like people being willing to like expand. I think one reason I like to work with other people is it kind of, it forces you to get outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, like as a musician, you get a certain level where you feel like I, I got a handle on this and then you want to break it. It's like, now I want to do something I'm not really comfortable with just to kind of push myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but um, do you find that you like to do that or you like to kind of, refine where you are before you try to challenge yourself i feel like i first need to refine myself but i definitely do want to have different types of experiences come up with different shows that include uh different types of musicians or people playing my friends playing with me or anything you know back-to-backs are always a thing mm -hmm. well, I, t I see that you talk about like audio visual synesthesia and i've used the idea of synesthesia a lot i actually wrote, wrote a whole collection of poetry back in mm -hmm. the 90s called synesthesia so and I, i've always played with a lot of visual stuff in my music that kind of implies synesthesia mm -hmm. um but 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 what um i'm wondering like are you working on like videos to go with your music that do this kind of audio visual experience or like film or is that your goal to actually in integrate more visuals into your music yeah, my goal is to show people how music looks like, basically, which is it's difficult to understand for a non-synesthete that music like stuff that we see in festivals or, you know, like the lights and the visuals that are playing with music. Mm -hmm. They don't most of the time they don't, you know, uh, explain, let's say, quote unquote, explain or describe the song being played or the melodies mm -hmm. or the textures. And um, I've, yeah. I've read studies that even non-synesthetic people tend to prefer synesthetic art because it makes more sense and it's more aesthetically pleasing. And I thought mm -hmm. this was a great opportunity to delve deeper into ways of perceiving things multisensory. And um, yeah, like... <laughs> I yeah. want to, yeah. So it's like, yeah, because some, yeah, some people actually can like visualize yes. sound, you know, with the, For, just, uh, I can, uh, I am a synesthetic. They'll see the color. You know, yeah. So... yeah, yeah, I, I kind of see it when I do stuff. I talk about yeah. like seeing it, you know, smelling the <laughs> color or, you know, or like smelling the sound or, you know, you, 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 you can, you can do all these different cross sensor type of behaviors. And, it is interesting to kind of take take you have this kind of randomization of visualization yeah. you know where you just have random things going on and you think it's like oh that's psychedelic or that's trippy but it's it's more interesting if you actually try to find the theme in your music and find something that that coordinates with it or pulls another sense into a different aspect of it 
I think that's really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of what Warhol used to oh, do yeah. with the Velvet Underground. And it was this kind of thing where he was trying to connect. And, 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 and it was maybe abstract, but in some ways it was connected. And I've been very interested in that kind of, that type of thing. And even Bowie's approach with like the idea of, of Zig and Stardust, yeah. Stardust they were creating yeah. a character and taking theater into music and actually becoming something else and actually having a theme to what you do. Like Lady Gaga does that, Bowie did that, you know, Queen kind of had that kind of feel that you carry this other self onto the stage and you have the visuals that go with that. Um, to me, it gives a better experience than if you're just sitting there in your blue jeans just playing yeah. the guitar, which is not bad, but that's more like, oh, I'm an authentic singer-songwriter. Yeah. But then like sometimes you want to come out there and do something other than Something yourself. extra, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like the idea of performance. It's like you you do it like a play, you do it like a happening, yeah. you know. So I, so that if you th- thought of like Edward Rockoff was like a big thing for me, I was a big fan of like Genesis and the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. You know the way they Peter Gabriel carried that off. It was like all these visual cues and strange costumes, and he had all these themes. I'm a big fan of that kind of like rock mm-hmm. opera. The stuff that like he did did the stuff that like Pete Townsend did with Tommy and Quadrophenia. Um, so is it is it more theme oriented, like to tell a story, or is it more to feel like the synesthesia for the moment, or is it is it theme based? It's it's actually um, a combination of both, in the sense that like the songs that I or the tracks that I'm making in this context are telling a story on their own so then I just you know mark down the visuals that I have for these specific tracks and um, I'm actually at the beginning stage of a project of a big project that I said I'm planning on finishing until the mid 2022 and um, because I'm working with an animation studio and it's going to take a long time to make something especially with limited staff and limited funding um, we're planning on crowdfunding campaigns and everything, but it's going to take a long time. So the for this one, that would be this the, the mix of of you know storytelling and just these visuals that would appear as I listen to the song or as I imagine it in my head playing through. Well, I love Radiohead's like animated oh, videos yeah. and, their, and their claymation videos, and even like. Um the work that Peter Gabriel did with like claymation um, with a lot of his like sledgehammers, like the famous one, but he did a bunch of other ones. Um, and it's just really, even Frank Zappa has all these like claymation early visualizations for the mothers of invention. Like there's actually a lot of interesting like pre MTV videos that Frank Zappa used to do. And, and not a lot of people are aware of them, but they're, they're super interesting and they, they're very artistic and kind of out there. Um, and I've always been a big fan of like artists that try to do that, that extra, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of bring other art forms in, in to not, not just pure playing an instrument and trying to be like an Eric Clapton or something, but actually trying to do a full performance. So it's like, you know, so it seems like you're working toward that. So I'm really excited to what, the, what you're going to mm-hmm. have in 2022. Um, because that's kind of like, I've been, been a big fan of that most of my my career is I, I like to follow bands that have that kind of theme to their music. Well, yeah, um, I agree. It's it's a very interesting thing. And I also follow a lot of artists who do this kind of stuff instead of just DJing and, and similar. Yeah, because I find sometimes within certain electronic forms of music, you can kind of get stuck into like, oh, you have to do the drop. Yeah. Or you have to have this type of beat to be EDM or to be trance <laughs> or to be side trance. And I'm kind of like an old school electronic where I'm in this broad category and I created like my own genre called expansive sound, right? Which means I can go anywhere. Yeah. So if I want to do free jazz, if I want to do bebop, if I want to do fusion, if I want to make psychedelia, I can do it and I'm not yeah. stuck because I said I'm an EDM uh, or I said I'm trance. It's like I'm, I'm electronic and I'm wide open any of the forms within all the forms you know so so i, I think some people in, in in you in your agents and your promoters want to put you in a place so they can figure out where to put you yeah um when you, but but sometimes it's good to kind of 
keeping this open. I see you're, you, you say you're multiple genres, yeah. which you know, so it puts you in that kind of expansive kind of category where you're, you could go anywhere you want to go, which I find that that's more satisfying. Especially with <laughs> experimental music, because experimental is anything that doesn't belong in popular genres. Yeah, because I think like some people would like think of an electronic musician. Like I go to New York and I say I'm an electronic musician, and they think I'm a DJ. And, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and not that DJs aren't cool, but I'm not a DJ. I'm I'm, I'm a actual performer. Keyboardist. Yeah, a performer. I mean, I'm a synthesis, and that's not the same as a DJ. Uh, and 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 some people just they hear electronic music and they make oh, assumptions. Yeah, it's a DJ. Yeah. You know, <laughs> here today people are, oh you actually need to tune up you actually need to set up yeah i gotta set up my rollins i gotta sound <laughs> just like a rock band yeah you know and um and and they don't get it like why well, can't you just bring your sd card like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that, that's not what it is you know but but uh yeah so i i think it's cool to have a, a wider vision they say well i just don't want a cvj i don't want to just phone it in i want to actually perform it on the pads or i want to play a midi keyboard i want to integrate i want to sing on more stage more, yeah more and more hip-hop bands they're not just like tracking they're actually got drummers they hmm. got horn yeah. sections they've got guitars they've got a whole you know they come out and it's like wow that's a full band now you yeah. know when i first started they were just just on a vinyl you know dj mm -hmm. And now all a lot of rock band, the hip hop bands in New York, they're, they're like they're doing ska, they're doing rock, yeah. and they're doing punk, and it's it's wide open. But I find like rock has kind of stagnated, mm, where yeah. other forms seem to have, have have progressed, but rock is kind of stuck in like, oh, I'm Tom Petty, you know, I'm Led Zepp, and they don't seem to want to go beyond. It's it. such a shame um, because rock is one of my favorite genres from before like i used to be a rocker for for like a pre period of my life and you know into metal as well at the same time so i i do listen to a lot of you know smaller bigger rock artists newer older yeah yeah i tend to listen to the new guys and the old yeah. guys like the, the underground rock bands they kind of channel bands i like you know mm -hmm. so, so there's a band channel in pink floyd but they don't sound like mm -hmm. floyd they're actually in that kind of zone Or, or somebody's channeling like the others I've mentioned or Grateful Dead or the Almonds or something. I'm like, wow, that's a real jam band. Oh, yeah. And they're actually playing it. And I'm like, can I love to see like a band with like two guitar players and like a slide and two drummers? And they're like, wow, can they, they can they can really perform? And and I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of like that kind of 70s performance that you got at a band like the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, stuff, you know, bands like that. They actually would get out there and really you know just reinvent their songs like every night and and i always thought that was cool to see a rock band that actually didn't play it like the eagles like every night play hotel california the same way but but actually go out and play the song differently and and and, and then to see them and it was actually worth seeing them two nights in a row because they didn't do yeah. it the same exactly yeah uh, i find I find that that's really cool. I mean, DJs do that, and that's kind of cool. In some clubs, they, they remix things. They don't do mm -hmm. it the same way. I, I, I always like people that kind of are willing to 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 to, to mix trust it up, their yeah. audience that they're not. Yeah, they're not going to get upset if they don't do it exactly. The same way. <laughs> But um, so, what do you feel about like in under Corona, being the type of musician you are? I would think that you can still create a lot of work without having to go to the studio, right? Yeah, you I've never actually to went to, to a studio. I actually I did a few times, but it wasn't anything extremely productive. The people I went to actually focused on themselves and sque squeezed out a couple of vocal tracks out of me that I that have never been released and kind of just like wasted my time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I I mostly work from home and from my bedroom studio. And I'm quite mm -hmm. satisfied. I've like I found workarounds. As you can see, for example, my vocals are pretty clean, because I've I've found found little tricks, cheap little tricks that help keep it up to standard, basically. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been forced to um, increase their studio capability because yeah. of COVID. Like a lot of I like I know a lot of American like traditional like four piece rock bands. Mm -hmm. And with like physical drummers, now they've had some trouble oh, because yeah. their their drummers 
actually have to be with them to to write. Yeah. And in modern technology makes it very difficult for a drummer to kind of play mm. remotely. And not that it's impossible. I found drummers that actually have been sent like the DAW all the tracks and then they play with the DAW. Oh, yeah. Oh. But they find they find that they don't like it. It's not it's not personal. <laughs> because, as personal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of drummers kind of pick up visual cues by looking yeah. at the bass player looking at the they, and it, that's how they kind of decide how they're going to do it mm -hmm. and without those visual cues they kind of you get lost them with like okay yeah. well yeah i just gotta gotta do it on my own mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know not that you can't but it's harder and and people don't like it yeah so, but being an individual like musician that's electronic you can just sit in your bedroom studio and then you buy the right compressors you buy the right audio equipment you buy the right recorders, uh, and you can just process all your stuff uh, at a good enough and quality home. Yeah. that you can, yeah, you can release it. And so, yeah, I've been kind of kind of mode for years because I used to do, I used to have bands, mm -hmm. and then people started like getting married. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then your band breaks up with the wife or the girlfriend. Yeah, it says like, no, you're not doing that anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so then it's like, okay, well, I gotta keep on doing it myself. And then you just build up like the capability to do it yourself. And uh, I think in this time, I have collaborated a lot where I'll, I'll work with like poets and spoken mm -hmm. word people and other musicians. And, uh, you know, we just kind of exchange files or do a Skype and we'll talk about a track and send it back and go. And, and it's, it's, we found ways to work. I think more and more people are finding ways to work. I think it's, it's the necessity. But have you, have you thought about, or you've been asked to do any kind of live streaming or are you interested in doing live streaming or you're more like, I'd rather do a video than do a live stream. I think I'm actually not yet at the point where I can live stream because I would prefer to play my own materials. And I am one of those people who believe that, you know, you first have to build up your own material before you're going to, um, you know, get out in the world and yeah. perform because mm -hmm. these like the people who do the opposite are the type of people that I never liked. <laughs> so I am, I don't want to become one of those people. And maybe it's, you know, it hurts in a way financially, but it really doesn't because I have my other things going on for me. So I wasn't ever worried about the financial part and I'm just waiting for the right moment because patience is very, very important. And um, I do, yeah, I do yeah. plan on doing some live streams myself. Obviously, I, I really want to get into live streaming, but um, I think I first need some a substantial fan base so that I can have a working Twitch, you know, fan base, like yeah. a good Twitch fan base, so that I can, you know, stream my um, tutorials for for members only. Um, ha I have a Patreon and. I will be sprucing that up one of these days, like in the next few days, um, releasing a lot of sample packs from, from stuff I've recorded because I think that's like the easiest way to get in there and make some income. Right. And yeah, yeah. That, that's a good approach. There's a lot of guys like yeah. Luke pop. I don't know if you've ever seen Luke pop. He has all these really interesting reviews. These guys, Patreon, he, he does pad passes mm -hmm. for people. You know, he'll send like books on how to do patches on a mode or on a, on on whatever instrument he reviews. He'll actually provide like sample, like not sample packs, but like like actual like sound packs of like how to design. Oh yeah, that's sound. amazing. Um, oh yeah, that's kind of cool when you get you know, and that's how you build up your audience. It's like I, I came from, from like, like the old school way of like going to New York, go go play a, a small club that's into that like electronic. And then you build up a small fan base that likes to see you do it. You know, but under COVID, yeah. you can't do that. I used to go to Boston. I used to go to New York and play small clubs, like three, four hundred seat clubs. I used to play birthdays. New... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you, you play when you play. I mean, when I first started, when I was seventeen, I was playing like pizza. Well, shows. um, the birthdays, yeah, yeah. doing, doing, doing yeah. covers, you know, cover band. <laughs> but I was more more like you know birthdays that I was playing at were kind of like people renting out a club. And they were, they were my friends. And then they were like, would you like to play for us? Because we need a DJ and stuff, you know, for, for us to just be able to relax. Yeah, weddings. The people get into, a lot of people oh, yeah. started like wedding bands. Well, weddings pay you know, well. You started the wedding band. Yeah, then they said you get a steady income. You get people find out who you are. 
then you you, know, you do covers, and then eventually you start sneaking your own songs in. You start you know, build it. That's like the yeah. old way that like your agents and stuff is they will build it up a fan base, go play the the, the, the kind of chitlin circuit you know we play, mm-hmm. you play the small clubs you build up a base you sell your tapes out the back of your trunk you know yeah you, you do that kind of stuff to kind of build the thing and i did that for a while and then i switched to like an all online mm-hmm. and and i've been able to be you know cut the podcast the podcast became my kind of gigging thing and oh, yeah. it drives people into my into buying my other stuff yeah. um and so and it influenced marketing and like uh sync licensing because electronic musicians, we can like do songs on soundtracks. We can do like video games, we can do commercials, we can do all kinds of stuff. That, and, yeah, and that's a big involved. part of, of my career, basically. The video games and yeah, movies. That's, that's kind of, yeah, that's that's where you really make yeah. your money. Whether or not I go, people into a ghost song, if I sell it for like two minutes for a yeah. scene, I can make more money than I make on Spotify. Yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and so... And it, maybe people don't know that it's the ghost, but it doesn't really matter. It helps me buy my next month. You know? <laughs> it paid for my rent that month. So, yeah, it paid for the stuff I'm doing. So, yeah, you just like a lot of musicians, are like, oh, I want to be, I don't want to sell out. I can't be <laughs> yeah. commercial. It's like, well, you know, you've got to do what keeps you going. And if you love doing it, you find ways to, to get yourself supported. And I, I think they're, you know, commercialism is the one thing you know doing a pepsi ad or something yeah that's what it maybe that's going too far but uh but you do what you got to do to survive especially in this environment and if you can't do the clubs you have to figure uh, out yeah. ways, ways yeah. to do it you know? so that, that's that's cool and i see that you you do have a big plan that goes out to 2022 you're probably the only artist <laughs> i've talked to that actually had a plan to go out that far <laughs> this year so this year um but that's that's cool that you actually have a long term goal you you want to do, and you also talked about like mental health is a large part of your driving factor. Yeah. And I think a lot of kind of maybe don't directly talk about that, but they use the mm-hmm. music as a catharsis. You know, I use my yeah. music yeah. to kind of solve problems, and I take the pain or experiences in my life to make art. Is that kind of where where you're going with that? You want to help people and, and yourself. It's definitely a coping mechanism, but I also want to, like, for example, ambiental and experimental music. Um, I want to use it in conjunction with synesthetic art to, um, you know, contribute to to people just um, reaching a more meditative meditative state, um, playing around with different uh, brain waves with binaural, you know, alpha, beta, beta gamma, delta waves that impact like prolonged exposure wow. to these waves. It makes your brain synchronize with them, which brings you into the desired, you know, energy level, neural energy level. And I'm exploring how, you know, the relationship between serotonin release in the brain and and events, you know, outside traumas as well as music, that how music influences it. Because music is amazing in the sense that, for example, in one research that I read, it actually triggered memory of people, patients with Alzheimer's to start remembering their life and start remembering words that like just vocabulary that they lost due to the disease. Yeah, I've heard that like you're a musician that you can kind of stave off some of the destructive aspects of, of, of Alzheimer's because playing music activates parts of your brain that yeah. actually can keep it healthy. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's a different type of, of activity compared to other things we do as humans that, that when you do music or even when you listen to music, it affects your brain in such a way that it actually has healing properties. Yes. You know, and if I'm a Buddhist and I, I chant mm-hmm. and, and when we chant it you know it lowers your blood pressure, you know, that you're breathing that yeah. you start getting like healing benefits from your chanting just because it puts you in a mind state that actually is, is common, you know, and it's just whether or not it's proven or not, but a lot of, you know, people who do kind of, you know, Buddhist type chanting behaviors and breathing yeah. exercises and stuff like that. We feel that we actually get a benefit. Yeah, same here, same here. Um, and, and I want to, you know, hone in on this part of music, the healing part, because 
it can be brought out even more and made even better. And yeah, you know, just if, if we can focus that's on a good, it. That's you know. a really good yeah. goal. <laughs> Thank you. That's a, I think that's important because I think some people, you know, can get into music and they can the destruct. There are destructive aspects of anything you do. Yeah. And you can get into things that are kind of self-destructive and glorify it. And it's good to see somebody actually taking the positive aspects and keep zoning in on it. Where, you know, the self-destructive aspects of music are, are you know, part of mm-hmm. music. It's part of the story. But you don't want to glorify it to such that you get all the new musicians to want to Emails be, and stuff. You know, yeah. Harm, yeah, harming themselves or harming their audience or doing negative behaviors that don't help you. Promoting a negative um, message and similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's not, it's not helpful to do that. I mean, it's, you can express emotion and feeling as part of it. But when it becomes like more destructive than helpful then that's not as cool as it could be <laughs> but um yeah i mean everything is is interesting i mean you get into the stories you know in history of, of musicians either kurt cobain's yeah. the jimmy Hendrix's, the jim morrison's jazz joplin they use music to heal themselves but at the end they couldn't save themselves. yeah yeah and this um, this is a very important thing to, a very important thing to change because i used to make really kind of like sad music let's describe it that way but then I like right now I explicitly make happy or positive music with maybe like a dash of melancholy, but th- which in the end comes down to something that's like beautiful and ecstatic and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of not get caught up in, the, in like a lot of us as musicians, we can go to the dark places and we can we can turn it into art, but it's good to find the, the, the kind of happiness or the universal themes that are you know yeah they're enlightening like if you find some kind of universal theme that gets you into like celebrating the beauty of the universe yeah. right <laughs> and so you do things that that they are you know, like very ambient and 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 uplifting in the movements like in certain types of classical music they can kind of make you feel really powerful or you know they make you feel like oh wow that's like that that's, that's inspiring mm-hmm. yeah you know, so you inspire somebody to be motivated, you know, to, be, to feel, get out of their depression, you know, get up off the couch and actually want to want to be part of life. That, that, that's, cool. mm-hmm. you know, even if you get into stuff like funk music yeah. and soul music, they get people to want to be happy and express themselves and dance and, and just, you know, get up and actually feel something and move to it. That, that's another thing I, I, I like to use funk and fusion jazz to kind of get people moving um and, and feeling uh and I, that's a that's a cool thing because it makes you happy because when you if you play funk most of the people are smiling yeah <laughs> you can't can't frown when the funk mm-hmm. comes on exactly <laughs> you, you just, even if you're in a bad mood you just can't do it you, you got to step to it <laughs> um so yeah i think music is, is very important um for for people's mental health and it's cool that you, you're you're addressing that so, so going into 2021, um, what's your target um, for your, your, I think you've got EPs and singles lined up. Do you have like a schedule of what's coming yeah. out in 2021 that people would be aware of? Um, I'm not sure if I should mention specific names of tracks. I think it would be best to keep them as IDs because of the, mm-hmm. exp- you know, suspense as well as me wanting to build up an audience and then, uh, you know make a grand reveal but i have one incredibly 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 for me personally emotional track coming it's it's an instrumental track but you can just feel what i felt back then it, it was made after my last trip in february and before you know the lockdown and everything when when i had such a hard time because i was left alone i was stood up by friends and this track is kind of the product of that. And um, then I have an EP coming for meditation that that is going to have a lot of these uh, binaural waves that I was talking about that with prolonged exposure impact your brain energy, neural energy levels. Yeah. There's another thing because I, I, um, binaural, when it comes to like some hardware, there's like a brand new synthesizer mm-hmm. is one of the first ever to actually have a binaural like oscillator. Oh, wow. It, 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 there's like just the British synthesizer. Um, 
they're coming out. Um, and it actually, most synthesizers, if you look at them, they, they don't have stereo or binaural oscillators. They're yeah. all mono. And at the end of the signal chain, it might switch to stereo. But this particular system is called the Super 6. And it actually has the oscillators of binaural. Um, the thing the is, from yeah, the, from, I think from the start of the signal yeah. I think when you say binaural, binaural, you mean like ambisonic. But when I say binaural, I mean, I just mean two sine waves that are of different frequencies, but they're very close in frequency to each other. So they pre produce this third wave in your brain, which is kind of like either the alpha, beta, gamma, or delta. But yes, also like when you mentioned binaural, binaural surround music, this is very uh, impressive, the synth you're talking about. And it's also one of the things I'm experimenting with that I started experimenting with this year. Yeah, so yeah cause it's, it's just, it, well, I, I was just taking it from a kind of a sound design perspective, but, mm -hmm. but, but I understand what you're saying. But yeah, it's just that the ability to do that is that you, you can have different waves coming to, from different oscillators in the stereo signal yeah. path that, 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 because it comes from the oscillator first, it, it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like any other synthesizer. It actually kind mm -hmm. of fills the room with this kind of like, it almost sounds like a surround sound type of thing happening to you because it comes from oh, all yeah. these different angles. And you can have different approaches of all the LFOs triggering things from like behind you, in front of you, on the side of you, based on that stereo path and how you kind of can rotate it like a Leslie speaker. If you ever mm -hmm. heard of these old rotating yeah. Leslie's, it's a modern take on being able to do that. So I think that's that, pretty it, interesting. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that. If you think about having that kind of path when you're designing your sound to have things purposely coming around your head in different mm -hmm. directions. And, you know, I think that when you're designing ambient music, if you have oscillators that can do that, it gives you like a lot of choices in terms of how, yeah. how, what you're, what you're going to do on that track or on that sound, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, this is a this has been a cool uh, talk that I've I've gotten into some things that, that no one's ever talked about, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. that's why I like to do these podcasts. Everybody approaches music from a different perspective, and so yeah. we've been able to hear your perspective on music. And I think it's interesting. I think everybody out there is going to want to listen to what you've said mm -hmm. and dive into your music. We will provide the the link to your. Uh, distro kid and to specifically okay. spotify because we're mm -hmm. actually part of part of spotify so we're we're gonna push that one too <laughs> okay <laughs> but um so yeah we're happy that you're on and once once you have your other projects kind of ready to release if you want to come back and talk to us like just upon release of your ep mm -hmm. or any other your big projects in 2021 let us know even 2022 okay and we we can come back and do another show thank you so much it's been really fun talking to you well have a great new year and be safe because the, the world's kind of crazy right now yeah. but be as safe, safe as you can be and um hope to talk to you next year see you next year bye okay. bye